Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. What cannabis has taught me over the last 10 years is really about community, relying on people, being yourself and working together to build better. I love that. For me, that's the reason I'm here. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. And welcome back to the Cannamom Show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry, one can a story at a time. Uh, happy June Day. Happy <laughs> feel like June. Summer. Well, it did, and now it's going back to whatever it was before. I don't know. You know, if you don't like that New England weather, just wait a minute. It'll change. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, have you got any planned going away, doing things fun this summer? I have uh, two canoe trips planned. I'm excited. Oh, you're a canoeist. I didn't know both. that. Well, yeah, but, you know, canoe, canoeing in quotation fingers. The point is to get out there and eat sandwiches and drink beer and hang, hang out. Um, and then there's some a little bit of paddling involved, too. Add cannabis. It'll make it even better. Well, <laughs> actually, we will have that, too. We'll have that. <laughs> we can be open about it now. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, we're wrapping up to the last five shows of the season three, Dave, and we are taking a break at the end of June, but we will be returning in September with season four. Season Woo-hoo! four. Yeah. Can't and, wait. Uh, and we also have our first sponsor, Miss Weed, Chic Weed for High-Minded Women. So people, come Chic. on. If you would like to support us, the Cannamom's Conversation, keep it going. Visit our Cannamom Conversation campaign, which is running until the end of the month. Check it out. 
you can get some cool can of mom show swag. Uh, so together we can continue elevating the stories of the women and of course, crushing that stigma. That's chic weed, like uh, C-H-I-C chic, right? Mm-hmm. That's a cool name. I like it's it. It's uh, Miss Weed. I met her at an event in Boston and then her social media people reached out to me because I don't know. I think it fits my vibe. Miss Weed. It's like chic <laughs> for high. Yeah. Like those are my people. That's right. <laughs> um, and this summer I am planning on being down um, in the Cape. And I know there's lots of dispensaries in the Cape. I'm going to be there in July for two weeks. I would love to come out and visit you. I've got a book. I can do some readings. I can help encourage women. My friends are out there playing tennis and playing golf and doing their thing to come into your dispensary. So reach out. I was on the Cape this past week weekend. And did you yeah. see any cannabis dispensaries or everywhere now? No. I, uh, really? No, I guess I did. I saw a few billboards yeah. on uh, Route 6 there. Is that Route 6? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, go to the Cape, chill. It's perfect. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to be down there for two weeks. Again, Cape Cod people, I know there's a lot of you. I'm loving it. I'm going to be down there. I'd love to come talk to you. And um, this is weird, Dave. You know, my numbers are going up for the past couple of weeks. I, I downloaded. I get a lot. So I was doing a little research. And I want to give a shout out to our listeners in College Station, Texas. I think you're listening from A&M University. I'm not quite sure. Please reach out to me. Love to hear from you. How did you find the Ken and Mom show? Yeah, it's always exciting to get viewers and listeners out of thin air, you know, but it's because it's a good show. It's an award-winning show, Joyce. Let's not forget. I I know it's far reaching. You know, I, I always say maybe I can't have any influence. Maybe I can't even in Texas. You know what? Women in Texas, we're still humans. Stand up. <laughs> yeah. I know you're listening to me. All right. And one more thing. Um, there's a new magazine called Sweet Jane Magazine. I think this is their third issue. It's all about parenting. And guess who's in it? You are? Come there on. I am. Oh, come on. I Woo! love it. Wow. <laughs> Full page. It's me. Yeah. So anyways, pick it up if you see it. It's an actual literal magazine. It's paper. You can fold it. Look at it. It's actually online. Sweet Jane featuring a lot of my friends in the cannabis industry. Mom's crushing the stigma. So cool. So cool. All right. So, and before we begin, we do have a new sponsor for this month. We want to, for the last five episodes of season three, Mary Jane's people, thank you for making today's show possible. And then we are moving on. All right. So today's guest, I thought she was joining us from Arizona, but she's actually joining us from Colorado, but we're still going to pretend she's there. (laughs) She is a strategic self-starter who possesses two decades of professional experience across cannabis government relations, pharmaceuticals, mental health, nonprofit, and publishing industries. She is also the founder of Foundations of Cannabis Unified Standards, Focus. She brings her strengths to the emerging cannabis regulatory world, and we are fortunate she has because she is an expert at identifying needs and delivering customized solutions and streamlined processes to ensure quality, safety, compliance, and increased revenue. Today's guest has a passion for community, outreach, coalition building, and public policy issues, and she isn't afraid of a challenge which brought her into cannabis. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Leslie Engelking. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Joyce. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. So I know you're actually in uh, Colorado now, but we were going to talk about Arizona because that's one of those states. So uh... <laughs> Arizona's my home. I'm just here to get out of the thing. Out of the heat. Yeah. Yeah. There. All right. So you grew up in Arizona. Um, and so how was that? What was it part of your life? What ha- And what happened that actually changed you to your journey into cannabis? So I, yeah, I grew up in Arizona. Um, 
my mother was a public health expert and the executive director of the Arizona Mental Health Association. So I, I kind of grew up in public health nonprofit work, um, you know, from childhood on and worked there as an intern in high school and, and then formally in college and after um, through some of, and we were actually working to change the stigma around depression, which is very pertinent to what I do today in cannabis, right? Um, right. In, this is, you know, 25 years ago, there, you know, depression, anxiety, these were four letter words that nobody would talk about, right? And right. so at that point, we were arguing for parity in healthcare services for mental health and physical health, as well as to really get beyond the stigma of these people and help them. Um, exactly. So through that work, I met some folks at Eli Lilly and company, ended up going to work for them for almost 13 years. Okay. Um, really loved it and and got a great education in quality and safety and patient care. And right. Lilly's really known for helping, you know, they, they really are one of the small pharmaceutical companies that have never merged. And so they were very patient driven. And that spoke to me. Um, when I left there in 2010, Arizona had legalized cannabis for medical use and- okay. Some friends wanted to apply for a license. Right. And honestly, at first I said no. Um, I was like, my dad is a defense attorney. My mom's a public health expert. Like, I'm never going to be able to go home to dinner again. You know, this is. So, 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 and, and so you believe, I always say this. I believed everything they told me. I didn't know what this was. What were your, what was your understanding of what cannabis was and what would it, what it would do I mean, to you? So I was a pretty pretty wild kid in high school and college. So I had tried it a couple times and I had. I will swear I even inhaled, <laughs> but it just never really stuck for me. I mean, okay. if something I was for or against, it just didn't really play Same a thing. part. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, what a switch. Wow. So in, in 2011, we, but your dad was a DA. Did you say your father was a defense attorney? Or, yeah. Wow. yeah. Okay. So, so interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So it was just, it's a random thing for me to even get involved in. It's nothing, you know, my, my degree is in interpersonal communication, how to communicate with others and statistics. And both of which are hugely important to what I do in the cannabis space. Um, but never in my life did I think that I would apply them to something like cannabis, you know. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to my world. All right. So 2010 and then 2011. Yeah. Okay. We, we applied for and one, they sort of wore me down with data. That's how they finally okay. got me to agree. So they were showing me all this information about how patients were really being helped from it. And I okay. thought, okay, I'm going to try it. I was taking six months off trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I'd just gone through a divorce. And um, so I'm like, okay, I'll be on board. Well, okay. that didn't work. Um, you know, just like most things in new cannabis businesses, the wheels came off after a few days and right. it was sort of all hands on deck. And so for the next two and a half years, um, I was the executive director for Bloom Dispensaries in Phoenix, and oh wow, we were super successful. Uh, we were like the sixth license in the state, first in Phoenix. And over the next three years, I think we opened we opened five dispensaries, uh, manufacturing lab, infused product, wow. cultivation facilities. Um, and so I got to see the whole gamut of this industry, and we were one of the first businesses in Arizona. So. We did a lot of the trailblazing with the Department of Health, with working with, you know, the transit system and the law enforcement and things like that to sort of bring the the industry together. And through that work and meeting so many amazing people in the space and really just I loved it. I mean, I was so thrilled with like I I still remember there's a couple that came in the second day our dispensary opened our first one and they were from Minnesota and 
he had PTSD as a veteran. She had fibromyalgia and they had been using cannabis illegally in Minnesota for so long. They finally moved to Arizona. Their kids were there and they were just so, so happy that they could do this. And I just, and you know, again, people who haven't been in a dispensary, it's like if you're used to purchasing your real product from somebody who's going to deliver it to your door, you have to go somewhere. It's a very different experience than going into a place where there's a community and you're open about it. I mean, I've actually heard this from friends or people who've been, you know, consumers for a long time that they felt very alone. Like they yeah. knew they couldn't be that alone, but they were alone with their friends. They didn't know this was a community. And you walk into a dispensary and it's like, yep, it's fun and it's like engaging and people want you to be there. It's a really different experience of, um, getting yeah. your medicine that you need. Right. Well, exactly. I, I feel like, yeah, that's critical to the whole success of this. Right. I mean, people need to be comfortable and, you know, there's challenges with that still on the regulatory side, because most of our state regulations were developed, you know, 10 years ago out of fear. And then each state's just sort of copied the next state's regulations. So we haven't, you know, moved past that yet. But I think, you know, so there's some limitations on what you can do in dispensaries and stuff. But yeah, I mean, this, I, it's one of the reasons I stay in this industry not as a patient, as an, you know, a business executive is because I've just met the most incredible supportive people. I've also met the worst people. Oh yeah. You get everything. You get the whole thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's such a neat community. And I feel like for me, what cannabis has, has taught me over the last 10 years since I've been, you know, in this space is really about community and relying on people and being yourself and working together to build better. And I love that for me, that's the reason I'm here. I mean, okay, so it's okay. So you're okay. So you're doing the stuff in Arizona. We talk a lot about how this is very, very state specific. It's almost county and municipality specific at some places because there are definitely places that it's legal, but there are communities that won't even allow it in. So this is very specialized. And you were able to be a pretty impressive voice in the setup of Arizona, which I've actually been to Arizona dispensaries because my daughter goes to college there. So I always visit a few. <laughs> and they are very welcoming. They are very, they're yeah. accessible there. You can see them. There's nothing weird or frightening. They're in lovely neighborhoods. And um, so you yeah. had some impact in how that looks. All right. So, and you, and you worked at the dispensaries. Okay. So then, but you can see, again, this is a weird industry that each state gets to decide what they want to do and there's no federal policy. So well, how do you, Problematic yeah. for patients because of that, because normally it's the agency that is responsible for licensing an industry. So for food or drug, it's FDA, right? Right. For, ag, it's USDA for, you know, EPA for other things. But in this case, because it's federally illegal, the state governments have had to write these programs. And early on, they were forced to write them, right? This was right. over initiative. Something would pass. They'd have six months to build a program that they knew absolutely nothing about. Right. Didn't know anything about cannabis, didn't know anything about writing a program, and there were no references to look for. So, um, you know, I mean, you can understand why things are, are where that we are. But at the same time, States aren't used to writing full programs and never do they write good manufacturing practice standards for operators on how to meet those regulations, which is what happens at the federal level, right? So FDA puts out regs, they put out GMPs and guidance documents for industry, you get audited to those, um, but we don't have anything. And cannabis is the most highly regulated industry. I mean, I did a presentation at the um, National Propane Gas Association a couple months ago with, with a couple of their big, big guys. And they're like, cannabis has more regulations than oil and gas. Like, it's crazy. So, yeah, okay. So this is really, so this is, you know, like to bring it down to like a regular, to a business level, because that's what you understand. 
It's yeah. I talk about how difficult it is to be in this industry because it's everything is so weirdly specialized and yep. nothing makes sense and there are no boundaries and there's yep. no like I think of the federal you know as long as we're still one country, <laughs> the federal government is like I don't know it's like an arc of like I don't know like a wire hangers across the country like these are the boundaries and you can hang up your hangers on any of these spaces they're giving you some spaces to actually create yep. what you need but right now. We have none of that. So it's very uncomfortable for business owners, especially like business, again, kind of back to the 280E. You can't deduct your normal business expenses. You can't get a bank account. You can't, you know, there's like a lot of weirdness because of the federal illegality. So how do you think this is benefiting if there's federal guidelines? Yeah. So, I mean, all those things, the banking, the, you know, different regulations. So you can't just reopen your business the same way in the next state that, I mean, there's tons of problems, but I think that to me, you know, as someone that runs a nonprofit health and safety organization now, um, the biggest challenge is that the states don't know how to guide the operators. They don't give that information. And so all of their attempts to protect health and safety come from third party outside testing, which drives up cost. It drives up time to market and patients eat all of that. Right. And so and, but the businesses are having problems with it too. I mean, imagine being a small farmer and you only have two or three harvests a year and you don't find out until the end of your harvest that it's contaminated and won't pass testing. And now you have to spend money and time and resources to reiter- uh, remediate that in some way, which means you're going to make less on your end product and again, more delays. So if there's, and, and you probably can't get, you know, harvest insurance or whatever. I mean, right. what, do norm, what do normal farmers get? They get some kind of insurance, right? Right. USDA insurance. insurance. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's problematic and it's also problematic, like, because it's reactive. By the time you take something to test it, the quality is there or it isn't, right? There's nothing changing at the testing lab. So not knowing what your quality is until you're done makes no sense. I mean, every other industry works on preventative controls, right? Oh, we're going to document what we do. We're going to track what happens so that if, you know, God forbid we have a recall or something happens, we can go back and find out where that happened. I mean, it's the same in food and pharma. So, so is that what they do with like lettuce or whatever? When they're always recalling it's stuff definitely. like, so why, so why is it so backwards in cannabis? Why are they, well, it's a crop. It's a crop like other crops. So why is that not? It is. Yeah. It's not considered a crop by the government. It's not. It's right? not. Okay. So that's so a big it, issue. It is. I mean, it's an agricultural commodity, you know, especially on the hemp side now. But yeah. from the marijuana side, the government still hasn't gotten back to that. And so it's, they're not thinking about it like that. Um, yeah. And so none of the regulations. So like if you run a food company or a pharma company, let's say, let's say Lily, because I know that, right? And they mm-hmm. make Prozac. Let's say they make a million pills of Prozac in a day. They don't test every pill. They test a statistically significant number to make sure that the product is, the batch is safe. But they also do in-house testing throughout the entire process of building that pill, right? So there are controls in-house that come from good manufacturing practices that these operators follow. But cannabis hadn't had any of those. And so that's what I left my company to do. I got friends with, you know, I made friends with so many different um, business owners in this industry, all early days, you know, 2011, 12, 13. And everybody was having the same problems. And I I mean, to give you an example, like just to kind of put some reality into it, um, things like, so we had a, a big 40,000 square foot cultivation facility. And 
it's Arizona. How to right. hell, right? Yep. Um, so in the middle of summer, one day at night, one of the AC units, the HVAC units went out. Well, we didn't have a policy for who was going to get notified or how. So we lost hundreds of thousands of dollars of our crap, right? Because we didn't have a policy for it. Um, Another example is in the same grow, like we had different rooms, right? So we'd have rooms that were for wholesale, rooms that were specialty rooms, whatever. And one of our wholesale rooms, which was a big producer, got these little white flies, the spider mites that come all over the plants. And it's not uncommon to happen. Um, You got to watch for it. You should mitigate it ahead of time so you can prevent it, right? But if it happens, we took all the plants out. We destroyed the plants. We cleaned the whole room, top to bottom, and sanitized everything and put plants back in new clones. And within three or four days, white flies all over them. So that happened two more times. So we lost about a week on that room, not to mention all the product. Only to realize, well, yeah, we'd sanitized that room, but we didn't have an SOP or a checklist for it. And nobody thought to clean out the vent, change the filter in the vent. And so every time we're just blowing more stuff down. And it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's all these problems. But my, fr- my friends call us in the cannabis industry. You're basically building the safe. You're building the airplane while you're flying it is what everyone is doing. It's exactly true. I mean, and, and I understand that from, a, I mean, I'm a business owner, small business owner in this industry too. So yeah. there is some part of that that is just, it's, it is what it is. It's going to happen, right? But there's another part that we can be smart about this. And right. unfortunately, the government, state governments haven't given us the guidance that they should. And the feds are not doing their job. So we basically, I basically decided to sell all my interest in the cannabis industry and start focus as all right. A- so, all right, so we're, you're, you're right where I wanted to be. So in 2014, 2014, is that when you? Yeah, you- I left in 13 and, and did some part-time work and while I was writing my business plan and stuff. But yeah. Okay. And that, that, so that is the foundation of cannabis unified standards. Yep. Um, it's for short. Um, what is your why? That's, I mean, we've kind of gone through it, but it really just to create a space where we have standards so that we can actually be, do, be, so, yeah. be better business owners or better, I, I, better business. Sure, yeah. You know, vision for a, at the company is a safe, legal and sustainable global cannabis industry. Um, our mission, our day-to-day activities are to protect public health, consumer safety and the environment in the cannabis industry. And so we ultimately serve patients, consumers, the public, but we work directly with either industry or government to make sure that their businesses or their cannabis programs have adequate protections for health and safety. Um, so we do a lot of consulting, application writing, things like that to get people to build their business the right way from the ground floor so that they can kind of prevent these problems. We give them comprehensive SOPs and customize them with them and um, all the way up to getting operational. And then we do a third-party certification um, to say, yes, you've met these standards. You're, you can put a seal on your product that says they're safe and, you know, market So these, everybody from like product makers, dispensaries, like who's actually, hard, who's looking to standardize yeah. and be built the right way. So when it's finally federal, will it be part of the game, I guess? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and more, more and more people every day. So it's interesting in 2014, when I, when I started this, I went to NCIA's big annual business conference, right? It was in Denver that year. And I was so excited to see all my friends and get up and talk about what I was doing. And I got up and I was on the big stage. And I remember like no nerves at all, just being really excited to explain this. I was so happy to like help the industry. And I got up there and the entire time I presented, I felt like daggers were just being shot at me. Oh, why? 
it was interesting. I did not expect this at all, but the industry didn't really understand the difference between a standard and a regulation and a law or how standards benefit industry. And so they really, you know, I mean, this is a highly regulated industry already, and they just feared that I was coming in to overregulate and make it worse, which nothing could have been further from the truth. But it was a key learning for us early. And basically, I mean, again, there's so when you kind of come back, there's like so many people. I keep saying this. We live in the anomaly in history. Like this product plant has been around forever. And there's been a group of people who have just. Despite all the government intervention and all the policing of it and all of it has kept it together. So they have a real, I'm sure they have a real ownership of this yep. in a way that we um, outsiders I, I at this point can though, I, right? understand, but they also aren't part of the mainstream market and they don't know how to build an industry that's going to be mm, exponentially be able to grow in a way that actually heals people, which is, I think, the goal of everybody I know in this industry. So yeah. I know I see the fight. But I, again, we have and to have some sort of boundaries. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I like that. I like, yeah. right. I like, I like, I like rules. I'm like, yeah, again, me too. I, I, <laughs> I work better under systems. So, um, but, but it's, it was learn. it was key learning then, but it was great because I went back and said, okay, I, it's my responsibility as a health and safety organization to educate the industry on why they need this and to try and help them. And so we had some early decisions, really, you know, early day decisions to make about, are we going to try and go directly to states to get them to mandate this certification? Or do we really want to offer it to business owners that are doing the right thing, that are going beyond, that are, you know, spending the time and resources and energy to get this done and protect their patients. I So we decided on the latter. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. That's, and again, I keep saying, you know, again, this plan to the caregiver, this industry should be built in her image. I want to applaud all the people who are trying to do it, something different and do it right and really keep the um, the health and wellness of their patients and the people consuming their product at the center rather than the money, because that's how we always do it. We always focus on the marketing and the money. So this is actually hopeful to hear that people are stepping up and this is really what they want to do, because this is the way we're going to build a new industry. Well, and it's, I mean, it's not rocket science. Every other industry is built on standards, right? So how is cannabis not, I mean, it's funny because a lot of times people will, I'll talk to, you know, family, friends or whatever. And they're like, well, what do you do? You write standards. What do you mean there's no standards for cannabis? Um, We just did a poll with one of our partners at SICPA that will be released next month, the HICS poll about um, consumer and patient expectations of protections for health and safety within their state regulations, whether the federal government. And it's shocking these numbers. Patients and consumers believe that there are protections for the uh, health and safety of these products, that the government is looking out for them. And that's a consumer right in, in America, right? I mean, we have the right to good information, to safe products, to recourse if we don't. And that's not there with cannabis yet. And so it's a problem. I mean, we got it again, like I say, like your CBD products, don't buy them at the gas station and you kind of have to know who's growing your hemp. And I, I wish I had better advice for you than that at this point, but that is kind of where we are, unfortunately. You know, and these products are difficult to understand in a lot of ways. I talk about this a lot. If I get a CBD product and I can't figure out the dosing or the, how much is in the bottle within three seconds, I just, I can't be like looking at it and trying to do the math in my head and figure out how big the dropper is. That's not medicine. <laughs> Well, no, and nor is that patient information. So if that yeah. was a DA product, you know, they have to do a package insert that tells all the science and then they have to have a patient insert that tells all the practical. And we don't have that in cannabis either, right? Because we would have to pass a law for it, God forbid. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. So how are you? Um, I said, yeah. So let's see. So what? So are you working at the federal? You're working with individuals, but are you talking to like legislators at all at the federal level? Or are you really just yeah. staying at the business level? No, we do both. So we actually, um, so on the nonprofit side, we have a for-profit company that helps with consulting um, to get people ready for certification. When we tried to go to market with certification in 2016, we were so excited to like release the standards and do this. And we were offering a pilot program for the first year free for certification for five people. And we were inundated with requests, but unfortunately we got on these calls and the, the folks that we talked to, and it didn't matter if it was the smallest operator or the biggest operator in Canada or whatever, um, everybody saw the standards and went, oh no, there's no way that can be so. Wow. Um, we obviously couldn't lower the standards to meet the industry where they were. So we kind of went back to the drawing board. We wrote a lot of guidance documents. We wrote um, SOP templates. We wrote policies, um, you know, work instructions, all the things to help them implement the standards. And um, so we do. Oh, so that's interesting. So you went from like, here, here's what you have to do. And they're like, no way. And then you'll, I, I always say people like to be told what to do. As a mom. And then like when they, they're like, oh, this is step one, this is step two, this, step, this helped them understand like the, how they could actually even like jump in and begin. That's helpful. Interesting. Yeah. Well, again, it, the standards don't do any good if people can't use them. Right. So then I didn't want three years of my energy just like and, and hundreds. I mean, we had hundreds of volunteers build these standards. So, yeah. So it was uh, so we end up doing a lot of our work on the consulting side right now. We actually just consider it certification prep. Mm -hmm. um, but it's consulting pretty much. Okay. The nonprofit side is where we do our regulatory work. Okay. And that's where I sit. I, I I don't do any of the consulting or anything. They're different teams because okay. we can't have a conflict of interest. Okay. Um, so how, okay. So how's that going? That part, what you're doing? Good. <laughs> and um, I mean, the consulting side's great. The nonprofit, we've been working on an ANSI accreditation for years and we've had different, at first when we went to them, they said, Nope, sorry. We they took our money. We got busy developing the standards, and then they all of a sudden gave my money back and said, "We're not touching this. Cannabis is federally illegal, and we don't want to lose our license by working with you to create standards." Even though they really understood the need for them, um, it is, this is not any of the industry. Everybody understands it. Everybody knows what it is. Like everybody, this is like the thing that the Venn diagram: Republicans, Democrats, the healthcare for everybody understands what it is, but. That story is, did you see how powerful stories are, people? This is stuck. This really bad, awful narrative is stuck. So it is. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, All right. So <laughs> anyway, um, and so we are doing that. We've got clients right now, um, business clients, ca cannabis clients in 29 states and 15 mm. countries. Oh, wow. Good for you. So we do work all over the world. We're actually in the process of launching um, it, it, this is kind of a teaser on it because I don't have all of it flushed out and it'll come out um, next quarter, I think, but um, a step-by-step -step certification. So once you engage, you are able to put this on your website and you get some recognition. And so basically what we've done is taken the certification process and broken it into phases so that even the smallest business owner can participate. It's not expensive. It's not a ton of resources and time from them, but it gets them working in the right direction over the next few years in a way that meets them where they are, which is important because we can't, you know, I mean, life is the reality, right? They don't have resources. They don't have time. They can't do this, mm -hmm. but they want to. And those that want to, we really want to help get there. So the idea is we're going to start now to get them ready for federal legalization. Our standards are based on 
World Trade Organization guidelines for good manufacturing, good ag, good ag collection, good production, distribution. We use code of federal regulations from the U.S. government for um, food, pharma, supplements, ag, OSHA. Um, so HACCP's included, you know, all the OSHA requirements. So everything that we've done, the standards are built on existing U.S. regulatory structure. So my goal when I set out to do this was to build a plug and play solution for the federal government that would allow cannabis to work within the same structures as every other industry and exist in, in a normal way, right, without all these kind of crazy restrictions and problems and whatever. And so that's that, interesting. So, yeah, like that's because people again, people like to be told what to do. And then all these politicians or whoever they are, these people trying to decide how our life should work have no idea. Yep. And you're like, look at this. And when, I always talk, when, I, when I talk about whispering in the ears of the politician, I say this almost every show, like it shouldn't just be big business. That's who's like telling them what to do. So that's this yeah. is what we need. We need like actual real solutions to these problems that we're having. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I was going to just tell you something. Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I just wanted to come back to me. Oh, I know. So I like, I was just going to tell you kind of a little bit about the business model, because it's like, when you think about the federal government and the lack of action, like there have been other times in history where new industries have developed and we have not had standards and the federal government has reacted in a positive way to take action. They're not doing that because it, it's personal beliefs and stigma and things like that. Right. And so, but like my business model, I didn't know exactly how to do this. I just knew I had a really good background for it, working in, in public health and mental health and then right. pharma and all this. So um, I looked at a bunch of different business models. And in the 80s, when the heroin epidemic swept throughout the United States, within a couple of years, there were methadone clinics that had popped up all across the country under all different local and state regs with no federal oversight, which is exactly where cannabis has been for the last decade. And um, in that situation, FDA actually took action and the Department of Health and Human Services contracted with the Institute of Medicine to do a study to determine the best way to regulate these methadone clinics. And so flash forward a couple of years, that study is um, published and it says they're looking for one organization that's a 501c3 nonprofit that will serve everybody, local, state and federal, and will write voluntary consensus standards, which is the only type of standards the government is mandated to use, um, provide third party certification and training to these methadone clinics. Um, flash forward to like 90, 91, and that turned into a federal request for proposal under um, SAMHSA. And CARF is an organization in Tucson that answered and won that RFP and are still contracted with the government today to provide those services nationwide, but they do it globally as well. So that's my business model. There was no plug in, there was no RFP, but I have built it so that we are a plug and play solution in any way we can possibly be for this. And so much of what I spend my time doing is talking to government agencies and public health experts and scientists and really policy experts and really trying to figure out the needs of this industry and how we can be preemptive to sort of think ahead and, and work towards a better future because we're getting there. We're just, we are there. And, and again, a woman trying to do something a little bit different in this emerging industry. <laughs> I'm glad to have your voice in this. We have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back on the other side with my friend, Leslie Engelking, after we thank our sponsor, Mary Jane's People. 
It seems you all have an interesting work story to share every day, and it's really become clear the way we want to work has changed. We want to work differently and better. People Partners, Mary Jane's People, makes work better by making people the highest priority. Mary Jane's People will help you build well-being as a cornerstone into the foundation of your team by making people the highest priority with servant leadership, building the team you want to be on through learning, development, and collaboration, and connecting to the community internally and externally. They'll even help you build your people's team. Mary Jane's people will work with you to step-by-step at the best pace for you and your teams under their careful guidance and expertise to prep, sow, and grow the foundation of your people teams. It's time to change, and now's the time to do it. Let's make work better together. Learn more about Mary's people at MaryJanesPeople.com. Come on over and say hi and tell them the Canamom show sent you. Okay, let's see. We are back with my friend Leslie. Um, all right, how about your family? So you grew up in Arizona. Uh, you kind of had it in your life. Not do you have children? Are you married? Do you have anyone connected to you who's like I'm not, I I have um I have a dog that is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, with my- well. I guess your 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 parents. I mean, that must have been yeah, so how did it work? How did it work when you were like talking about this with your family and um, I guess friends in Arizona when you originally started working? It was yeah, it was an interesting time. <laughs> um, my parents, I'm so fortunate because they're just really supportive of me and and good people. But um, my mom actually ended up coming in and working in our dispensary and helping oh, she did. some of our our campaigns and fundraisers and stuff because of her nonprofit background. And um, yeah, so it, and they were all I mean, they they still are not. It's interesting, like they still have a lot of stigma around this, even though they think they're open minded. And I laugh at them all the time. But my mom's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that's happening or this is happening. I'm like, but why? Like, that happens with alcohol all the time that, ha- you know what I mean? Like, that's not weird. They have that stigma, but they're, but they love what I do. And they're very, and, very, but they, I mean, it, this is, I mean, this, again, this isn't a belief system. This isn't, this is science. It's so your not. mother has a public health background. She understands this is part of how our body works and that it's yep. part of how the environment works. Really. I always thought about, yep. you know, have, you know, cleaning the soil and healing our planet oh, and all that. Nice. So so she sees that. I'm sure she sees that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad does too. It's just, it, and it's not like outright, like outright stigma where they're like shaming anything, but it, it just comes out in little little ways. You kind of hear it, you know? Uh, but for the most part, I mean, they're super supportive and, and fun. I always give them a little, I'll get Christmas edible in the, in the stocking or something. I don't know if they ever take it. I would never ask, but I do think it's fun to give it to them. <laughs> and again, you know, these stories are hard to break. These belief systems are hard to break. And, um, you know, if you're on the side of the law, I mean, if you're a law abiding citizen and the law says this is really dangerous and everybody, you know, who's engaged yeah. in the government level are like, believe this and you have criminal justice system that believes this, it's I think this is a really hard, it, it's really hard to change people's minds and it's really hard to change people's beliefs and people, the stories I hear constantly, it's the health and wellness. They're like, there's like a crack in them when they see someone they love being healed and then they're like, maybe this could be okay. So, Absolutely. I mean, you were in the industry though. This is like a little bit different story. Yeah, but I, but I think that's true. I mean, I stick for, and again, I it go, I learned so much about this through my training with the Mental Health Association and Eli Lilly around changing the stigma around depression, but it's um, it's a very st- changing stigma as a whole is something that happens slowly. It happens by listening, not by telling. 
And it happens with a collaborative voice. And we don't really have any of that in the cannabis industry, right? We can't find a unified voice to save our life. Um, we don't listen well. We talk. And most of the time we talk to other cannabis people, not people outside the industry. And no matter how much you love cannabis, it's never going to be more than 20%, 25% of the country that uses it, right? I mean, just statistically, that's what it looks like. So why aren't we talking to folks and having the hard conversations instead of talking to folks that already agree with what we're doing, right? Because that's how you change stigma. You sit down and say, I get that you're scared of this. Why? What are your real, what are your real concerns? Let's talk about your concerns because I'm pretty sure if you let me have a, it, just an adult conversation with you, I can provide some data to show you that those things simply are out of date and not true and help you move beyond. But that's what I do for a living. That yeah. I think is what this industry needs as a whole. That's what yeah. I try to do. I do, I know I say I present, I'm a pearl wearing tennis playing white lady and I talk about this all day long and I do want to help people understand that it's not something scary, which is the thing that people are still like, I do say that. What do you, what do you think is going to happen to you? I mean, like, I don't know what you think is going to happen to you. And when they express it, then you can kind of like work it backwards. But I can think, I always say my own mother didn't really come on board. She just couldn't understand what I was talking about. Just, you Mm -hmm. know, it's very hard to change people's minds, which I think is why it's so powerful when you're healed with it. I think that's kind of the power of the, um, I mean, that's the best testimonial there is, right? Like, yes. Yeah. The the veterans or the athletes, I used to say like once the football players start being like, you know, open about that, they're using it or yeah. well, players are talking about it now. Just yeah. day-to-day people, right? I mean, I, like I said, I never used it in my past. And even my first few years running the dispensary, like I would try an edible that we would make out of a new edible line and then never like it and not, you know, never really used it. And now I consume cannabis regularly, mostly for sleep in the evenings. Um, I just, I don't like to be cloudy during the day at all. Like that affects me. And I also have terrible ADD, so it's just easier for me to work during the day to do that at night. But I love it. And I've gotten, you know, away from having to take any kind of sleeping pill. I sleep better. I just, I'm calmer and more relaxed. And I think those to me are the benefits that we need in this country the most. Amen, sister. The reason I do interviews with people like you and, and stuff like this is because I truly believe that that's how we make a difference. And it doesn't take the big company with all the money to change things. It takes some dedication and perseverance and collaboration, you know? That's what we're doing. All right. So what are you, um, we're halfway through 2022. So what are you doing? Are you doing any talking this summer? Are you traveling? Are you going international? What are your big plans for the rest of the year? Yes. Um, so we have two, we have a big project that we launched the first week of May. Um, in partnership with the Association of Food and Drug Officials. Um, I don't know if if you're not familiar, the listeners aren't familiar with um, the Association of Food and Drug Officials. Uh, They actually predate FDA. They're a a 501c3 nonprofit public health organization, quite similar to Focus, that is the largest recipient of federal grant money. So they take the programs at the federal level and help the states implement them, train people, that kind of stuff. So they're a perfect, there's our, we are their cannabis regulatory partner. Um, and they're kind of the perfect position, just side of, of government to help do this. And so um, we've worked with them since 2016 exclusively. And right now, what we're working on is building the framework for federal cannabis legalization in the U.S. Now, we're not advocating to legalize because neither of us advocate for anything but health and safety. But we truly believe that the government... the the legislature, for sure, Congress needs guidance because mm-hmm. every single 
attempt at a bill that we have seen to date, there's two glaring issues, in my opinion. One is they don't even address health and safety. There's not even a concern about health and safety addressed. In, I mean, in the COA, in any of them. That can't be. The entire point of these regulations have to be health and safety, right? And then everything else can come after it. Um, but the other part is I haven't seen a bill or any proposal at all that actually takes in all the different uses of the cannabis plant, right? And like you were saying, like soil remediation with hemp, but there's hemp plastics and, you know, houses and all these different things. Clothing, you can eat it, you can drink it, you can sleep in it, it cleans the planet, we can like grow it faster. We're going to go from, I say, we're going to go from carbon to cannabis if we can get our act together. So, and exactly, and think about it. I always use this analogy because I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Like people say it's really hard to figure out a regulatory structure for cannabis because it does all these different things. But think of the corn. I mean, imagine, you know, corn's an ag crop in the field. It's until it's harvested, it's under USDA and USDA standards. Once it's harvested, it based on where that end product is going to be, it goes to a different agency. So if it's going to be cornflakes or corn tortillas or, you know, whatever, any kind of food, it's going to go to FDA. If it's going to go to make penicillin, it's going to go to FDA, right? I mean, if it's going to go for fuel, it's going to go to EPA. Like there, it's not that scary. But imagine if we didn't use corn for one of those things. Imagine if we completely never realized that corn could be ethanol. What a waste, right? And so what my fear is personally, I mean, and this is not necessarily a focus fear, but a Leslie fear, it really is like, we can't do that. We we owe it to our country and this plant to do it right. And the other part is for me, why this is such a timely and important discussion is because we are so far behind as a country. Yes. Um, in that, the rest of the world would rather follow American rules and standards and guidelines for products. But we can't even make up our own mind internally. Well, we have 49 other countries that have some form of cannabis legalization at the federal level. So how are Americans going to ever compete if we can't even sell in those markets? Right. And this is what getting ready for FDA means now for these clients. And that's what I think a lot of the industry operators, they're so busy you know, drinking from a fire hose and, and trying to keep their day-to-day -day stuff going that they can't think ahead. And that's really where focus can be so helpful. So that's, I mean, again, so you got to be ready. If you're prepared, you'll be successful. America, I do not, this is crazy. It's really crazy that we're so far behind. And I do say this a lot of the show that, you know, our jam used to be making money. I don't know what's happening with that either. And that this is a, some, the power in us being 50 unified states, all of us together, we can do more. Exactly. So that's but my that's so the, very female perspective, Joyce. <laughs> the collaboration. I'm still, I'm still here, but I don't know. Girls compete. Women collaborate. Uh, again, I was an attorney for a while. I was a divorce oh, yeah. attorney. I was never the meanest person in the room. I tried yeah. to do collaborative law at some point, but everybody has to buy in. I get that. But I think we can buy in. You know, I, I think this is something we could do. We can make different. I mean, I, I love what you're doing in this area. So, um, and we're going to include a ton of stakeholders. So we just had the first meeting in May. Um, 
In two weeks, I'll be in Arizona for the Association of Food and Drug Officials annual 126th annual education conference. And we'll be doing a session launching that formally, looking for a lot more stakeholders to give feedback and get involved in the committee work to to get it built and all that. But yeah, it's it's exciting. For me, it's it's the future, right? How yeah, are we exactly. It's the future and we're adding value. So thank you so much. Um if people want to get to connect with you, how do they reach you? What's the best way to connect with you? Yep. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Leslie Ingle King. Um, Focus has social media handles at Focus Standards for all of them. Um, and our website is www.focusstandards.org. And that will all be in the show notes because that's what we do. And uh, maybe next time in Arizona, you'll be there too. And uh, absolutely can... have to be. I would love to meet your kids. That would be, uh, we're, we're going to be there May 2023 because I've already made my reservation. So <laughs> <laughs> that is how prepared I am. Okay. Um, be preventative natures, pre-planning, safe problems. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. And that's another show. So for my guests and of course my Canterbury David Jazz and our Canna Mom Show team, I want to give a warm welcome to Teresa, who is our newest social media member. Check out our reels. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for following and sharing the inspiring stories of the women building this new industry so together we can crush the stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host. Joyce Gerber, this is the Cannon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one toke at a time.